quite a lineup there. It's beautiful. Yeah. So, as we bring to a close this series that we've we've been in a series around um, worship, around everyday um, worship. Um, Beg the question um, at the end, just to, so what? You know, why? Why, why, do, we, why do we do this? Why, why do we gather and, and, and sing? Why do we gather in order to, to engage together with God? Um, what, what, what is being accomplished? You know, what's the purpose? Why does God even have us set up to do this? And, and really, what you'll hear, and as we talk about being sent... The, the reason is so that we are prepared. We, we are made into people like God's created us to be. It's, it's so that our heart desires, as we just sang, become aligned with God's desires. I mean, that's why we gather and worship. That, that's why we sing. You, you know that, that singing is a different part of our brain than speaking. Some of us here would just say, you know, why sing that? Why don't we just just get the nuggets out of that and teach it to us? Well, you know, if you go into to nursing homes, there are people who can't speak, but they can still sing. Because that part of their brain is still operating. Um, my uh, been, been into other settings where people have brain injuries and they can't speak, but they can sing. I mean, God knows that. God created us. He gets that. And what God wants a sign, a, a way that God says, I want you to worship me and experience me with your whole self, not just the right part of your brain. I want the left part, too. Because that's what we were created to do, is to give ourselves to God. So when we gather in worship, it is so that we give ourselves totally to Him when we, in these worship gatherings, so that our desires... Our very heart desires are aligned with God's so that when he sends us out, we are his representatives. We, we are the representatives that he's created us to be, the ambassadors that he's created us to be, the, the carriers of his grace and his mercy. Isaiah 6 is a passage that, that we've been using really throughout this series. Um, and that the, uh, the, the worship session team that put this together, it was one of their basic um, passages. And it really highlights what uh, this everyday worship of expecting God and encountering Him, experiencing, struggling with Him, and surrendering with Him, and then being sent out. As his representatives. And that all of that is worship. And as, as we'll talk about later, it, it, there's no such thing as five out of six. All, all six of those are necessary for it really to be worship of God. We can't just pick and choose. Um, but we'll look further at that as we walk through um, this morning. What it means to be sent. Alright, so Isaiah 6 is uh, uh, found... On page 
usually try to mark it. There we go. 553 in your pew Bible, if you want to turn there, or you can follow along on the screen. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for your written word. Uh, thank, thank you as it speaks to us of your, your truth. Now may your Holy Spirit, who dwells within us, awaken our own souls to receive from you. Uh, awaken our ears to hear from you. Awaken our hands and feet to then go do what you would have us to do. All as worship unto you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Alright, so Isaiah is a, a prophet, one of the prophets of old, one of the folks that, that God has chosen and, and uses to speak forth God's word. And as we'll see in this passage, the king has died. And so Isaiah shows up at the temple in order, expecting to meet with God there, wanting to go there in the midst of this, this time of the king, king's death, and then walks through for us what he experiences as he encounters God in the temple. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. So he expects to meet God in this time. And now he is encountering God. And he's encountering the living God as he joins with the angels. In singing and crying out to God and calling Him. Rehearsing His character as holy. Holy meaning to be set apart. One who is wholly different. Who is another. And as we'll see in a little bit later. That we are called to be holy as well. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called. And the house filled with smoke. So now he's experiencing the very presence of God. Who is me? I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. Before the holy, um, uh, pure God, that he experiences, he recognizes his own sin. And I live among a people of unclean lips. There's a good note for you right there. Notice his order. He sees his own sin and then the sin of others. That's a good order, not the other way. He sees his own sin and then the sin of others before Almighty God. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. And he experiences the good news of God's grace, of his forgiveness. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now the struggle. This is, this is, the, the struggle is here. 
You know, God has for each of us, as he forgives us, he now says, now I have, I have forgiven you for a purpose. I have forgiven you so that you will, uh, I, so I can send you out for a particular meaning, for a particular ministry. And now the struggle is, do I raise my hand? Do I, do I say yes? And as Isaiah, in the midst of that struggle, and remember what we've said, that that struggle is good. I mean, the the only thing that's better than this struggle is when we're no struggle because we see Jesus face to face and we have been made glorified before him. But until that time, until that time, struggle is good. No struggle is bad. Because that means we're not seeing the holiness and the purity of God or we're not seeing our own fallenness and sin. That means we're we're not hearing God's call of what purpose He has for us if there's not a struggle. And then, as Pastor Dennis led us last week, then it's a time of surrender. You know, that, that I'm to live not for my call, not for my plan, but for God's call, but for God's plan. And then Isaiah, surrender. Here I am. Send me. And the Lord then gives him his call. That's the purpose of worship. That's why we gather. That whole picture there of expecting, encountering, experiencing God, struggling, surrendering, and then being sent forth. That is worship. You know, maybe, maybe it is, maybe we should not call this gathering worship. Maybe we should call it praise and prayer and proclamation so that we're not confused, so that we don't just isolate on one thing and call that worship in the very purpose of our life. I mean, we, maybe we could call this worship with a small w. But our whole life, here and outside of here, is worship with a capital W. That's the purpose of worship, then to be sent. Now, um, you know, the, the worship, uh, uh, the, the team from the session that's been doing the, the worship planning and, and pulling this together um, have each one come and shared with us just what they really experienced and what that meant for them um, uh, in each of the words as we've walked through this. So I want to invite Barb, oh, there you are, to, to come forward and just share with us what is that sense of being sent that she um, experienced and feels for, uh, for us. Good morning. Going along what Drew said, you know, things change in your mind and spirit. Drew's right. Um, worship changed for us as a team. This became little W. We walking in his spirit became big W because our lives are now reflecting the good news of Jesus. When we talked about the word sent, that seems odd to put it in the setting of worship, but that's really what we're called to do. We are called to be Jesus with skin on. I used to think from um, the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples. Remember on 75, Touchdown Jesus? Do you remember him? 
I used to think Jesus was doing that as he was going up into heaven, and the disciples were just like, ooh. (laughs) That's not what it was like. Jesus looked every one of his disciples in the eyes and said, I've spent three years with you, three years, and now you know me. Go do the same. Be set free. Set those people free. And so when I was asking God, what does that look like because I'm a teacher and I always have to look at things as a practical way. How do you implement that in people's lives? And I said, God, what does that look like? And he asked me, do you really want to know what it looks like? And I said, yes, God, I want to know your heart. What do you see the world as? And he showed me this picture. It's a broken world. There are people in bondage. When you drive down the street, There may be people in bondage who are sitting right next to you. God has equipped us when we say yes to Jesus and ask him into our heart with wire cutters. We are called to go in and clip that pain and let them know that they are loved so deeply by a God who sent his son. So when Drew at the end tells us to go in peace and be makers of peace, he's just asking us, do you have your wire clippers? Are you ready to go set those people free? Are you ready to allow God to set you free? So that's what worship means when we're being sent. Thanks, Bob. Jesus had had similar words in John chapter 17. Um, this is the, um, the priestly, high priestly prayer. This is Jesus' last uh, prayer before the, he goes to the, to the cross. Um, and it's uh, 17, chapter 17, verse 13. And uh, uh, it's on 880 in your pew Bible. And, and there's Jesus, he, he's, uh, like I said, he's praying before he's going to the cross. He knows that's coming. So this, this is sort of culminating um, his ministry and his life. And he's, he's praying this in, within earshot of his disciples. So they're, they're hearing what he's praying uh, for them. So, when, so this is Jesus praying to the Father, starting with verse 13. But now I, Jesus, am coming to you, to the Father. So he's, I, I know I'm coming to you now. We're going to be reunited. And I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I, part of gathering to worship is to feed that joy that's on the inside. Because when you leave from here, it's not going to be easy. Just like with Jesus and his disciples. If, if you thought coming to that worship... As a whole, worship, capital W, was easy. That it was about your comfort. That it was about your preferences. That it was about you being satisfied and feeling good. You got the wrong definition of worship. Worship includes being sent, being transformed, going out, embodying that good news. And then sharing it with others. Then that, that That is hard work. Just like the disciples then faced, so too will you. As we'll, as we'll talk, if, if we're to be about the righteousness and justice of God, that does not come easily in this world. 
So he's telling his disciples, man, you, you, I want you, he's telling his father, father, you've got to give them that joy because that joy is they, is they, they've now, they're digesting your word. They're eating it. And now they're living it. And now they're, they're living it out. They need that joy. They need that strength because we're sending them out as worshipers into a world that is a hard place. I mean, we want you in the fullness of your beauty, in the fullness of, of, of your life, in, in the fullness of your love. We want them to live that out. And that's going to take a lot of effort and strength and face all kinds of opposition internally and externally. So, verse 15. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. If he was about their comfort, if he was about their safety, then he would say, take them out. Just bring them home now. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. So, so if we come, if we're worshiping, uh, when we gather in our worshiping gatherings, and, and, and our heart's desires are being formed more into the heart's desires of Jesus, then what that's going to do, that's going to take us further and further away from the ways of the world, from the, the heart and the desires of the world. And so when we then are sent out to be, be carriers of the, that life, love, and beauty of God, and then we're going to face challenges and, and, and struggles. And again, those are, those are good. So sanctify, verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now sanctify them means make them holy. It's the same word as holy. So as we sing God is holy, as we've been singing this morning, then what we're saying is, what Jesus is saying, God, just as you are holy, just as you are set apart, just as you are the, the way, you, you live according to the ways of, of heaven, so too... Make us, make them in that same way holy. And then here's the crux of of his words. As you have sent me, Jesus says, into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So that we now are, are sent into the world. In the same power and holiness, righteousness and justice, the beauty and the life and the love of God. We are sent. And that is part of the whole of worship. Now, sometimes, though, we're sent in ways that are really difficult. Um, like uh, Pastor Dennis shared last week, you know, last Sunday, that, that some of us were called to go to Newport Beach, California a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, for uh, church, church conference. Yeah, and we, we had, to, had to go to that. And one it was a particularly difficult moment. It was after the conference was over and, and it, uh, we, we had been filled up. And then we were gathering with the ten of us that were there. And yeah, we had to gather on that you know, sand next to that water with the sun shining and blue skies. And so we just said we're going to really immerse ourselves and go gather there and uh, bring towels and chairs so we don't get that yucky sand on us. And then share. What's God telling you? What are you hearing from God? 
And uh, Chris Dumford made the mistake of, of sharing some stuff within my earshot. And I said, you know, that fits just perfectly with what we're going to talk about on Sunday. About not being of the world, but being sent into the world. And uh, how, what does that look like to be sent? And some of the challenge that it means to be sent in that way. So, Chris, come and share with us, please. Thank you. Morning. So, uh, at this, uh, the Eco National Gathering, um, I was part of a, uh, of a breakout session uh, after one of the talks uh, with a guy named uh, Alex Absalom. And he was talking about disciple making. And, and you know, to, to make disciples, uh, we have to be willing to, you know, actually share God's message with people. And he was making this point that, that it's helpful to, um, in that context, to be what he termed um, to be Jesus weird. And, and this kind of resonated with me. I'm not sure why, but, but he gave an example. And his example was that he was uh, out running errands one day and, and uh, ran into an acquaintance of his. And um, they were talking. The guy was sharing that he was having some struggles in his business, having tr- trouble getting customers. And, um, and Alex uh, said, you know, would, you, would you mind if I prayed with you? The guy said, well, I, I guess, okay. So he put his hand on his shoulder and just said, God, pray that you would bless this man's business, bring him customers, and give him a sense of peace throughout this. Amen. And then kind of went on like, you know, like nothing happened. And, and I'm sure this guy thought, you know, a little Jesus weird. But um, the point that he was making, and, and there's more to the story that I won't, I won't go into, but the, the point that he was making was that there's actually a receptiveness for people that are a little weird. And that's kind of what makes life interesting. And, um, yeah. <laughs> and you know, I, it really challenged me because I always thought that one of the reasons why, you know, I was hesitant to be open about my faith was because, I didn't really, I didn't want to be weird, you know, I didn't want people to think of me as weird. But as I really thought about this, if I'm honest with myself, the reality is I'm, I'm already weird. <laughs> and I'll prove it. The, um, <laughs> you know, if, if there's a big Bengals game on a particular Sunday, I've been known to, you know, put orange and black face paint on and, and even post a picture of it on Facebook. And that's, I mean, that's Bengals weird. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, on, on family vacations, when people take pictures of landscapes and, and their family, I take pictures of interesting doorknobs. I'm, and that's, that's architect weird. <laughs> I even like Taylor Swift. I don't know what kind of weird that is. <laughs> but as I, as I think about this church and I look around, there's, one of the things I love about this church is that there's lots of different types of people. Um, lots of variety, and, uh, and I really love that. Um, I think the older I get, the more I appreciate the variety in life. And some of you all are Jesus weird. I think you know who you are. And I did verify with Drew that that's a correct usage of the word y'all. <laughs> so anyway, um, it just challenged me to think that maybe there, you know, this world could use a little more Jesus weird. And uh, maybe specifically people in my life and maybe in your life could, uh, could stand to see a little bit more Jesus weird as well. Thanks. Another person who is uh, weird is uh, one of the biblical prophets. Actually, they were all weird. I think that's one of the ways that you qualify to be a prophet. But Amos, particularly, was weird. Matter of fact, he, he really wasn't a professional prophet. Um, yeah, just, like, just like Barb and Chris aren't professional Christians. 
It's just who they are. And Amos wasn't a professional prophet. He was uh, actually a shepherd and a tree farmer, particularly sycamore trees and a fruit farmer. So he he hung out with fruits, probably a few nuts, and a bunch of sheep. He was a weird guy. And, And yet he was sent by God, sent by God to speak truth to power. To speak truth to the church. To, to speak God's wisdom to, of correction to the church in his day. And we find in Amos chapter 5, verse, verse 21, his clear and direct words that, that again hammer home that, that worship is all of these things or it is nothing. So so he's a prophet of God. So when he's using I here in this setting, he's speaking on behalf of God. So this is God speaking um, to uh, to the nation of Israel, to the, the church of his day. I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Now, if that's not a word... From the Lord that says, worship, capital W, is all of these things or it's nothing. Then I don't know how much clearer to be. One of the people that that embodied this uh, for me is uh, one of my heroes that I quote regularly, um, uh, Reverend King, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., um, and given that this is African American History Month, you'll be hearing uh, throughout this month both music and words, things that particularly highlight um, our, uh, that part of our heritage of the church, Jesus Christ. And Dr. King wrote a, a letter called Letter from the Birmingham Jail. And it's a f- fantastic um, letter. You can look at it on the, the Internet, and uh, it's available in a number of ways. And, um, the, and what, what, he was in jail, so he's writing from Birmingham, and it's because a, a group of clergy um, in Birmingham, white clergy, had, were telling him, this is in uh, 1963, were telling him that his, his means, what he was trying to accomplish and how he was doing it was wrong. He's an outside agitator, and he's causing more trouble than good, and it's just not the right way or time to do what he wanted to do. And, and so this letter is, is a response to them. There's a couple things particularly about this letter that are poignant for me personally. One, he wrote it exactly one day or one year before my birthday. April 16th, 1963 is when he wrote it. And I was born in 1964 on April 16th. Of the seven clergy who wrote him the letter, he responded to them. And and there were three bishops, um, uh, one rabbi... And, and three Protestant ministers. One of them was Edward V. Ramage 
who was the pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama, who happened to be the pastor who married my parents, who baptized me and baptized uh, my sister that just died, Audrey. So there's a, even a personal connection for, uh, for me with this. But one of the things that he writes in the letter is he's, he's speaking to them about how, um, or the, he's responding to the ministers who are saying, you're an outsider, you're not from the neighborhood. What, what are you doing you know, speaking into these issues here in our community? So what he said. But more basically... I am in Birmingham because injustice is here. Just as the prophets of 8th century, like Amos, left their villages and carried their thus saith the Lord far beyond the boundaries of their hometowns. And just as the Apostle Paul left his village of Tarsus and carried the gospel of Jesus Christ to the far corners of the Greco-Roman world, so am I compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my hometown. Like Paul, I must constantly respond to the Macedonian call for aid. Get a sense of that sentness? That he had, that we all have as followers of Jesus. He says, I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. We are sent as carriers of God's beauty, love, and life. Of His justice and righteousness. Wherever there is injustice. Wherever there there is unrighteousness. Wherever there is hate. Wherever there is death, God is sending his people in their midst. He goes on to say in his letter, and if we're not, if we narrowly define worship with the, 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 being just about us gathering on Sunday mornings and, and um, learning and, and growing and, and being together, if that narrowly defines worship, then we will become irrelevant. And he said this in 1963. Here's what he says. Whenever the early Christians entered a town, the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the Christians for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators, and we might add, Jesus weird. But the Christians pressed on in the conviction that they were a colony of heaven called to obey God rather than man. Small in number, they were big in commitment. They were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. That may be my favorite line. That's worship. To be God-intoxicated in all of life. Paul says the same, that the Holy Spirit, we're to be intoxicated with the Holy Spirit and not alcohol. 
By their effort and example, they brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial contest. But things are different now. He goes on. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. I mean, this, this paragraph here, it, it, could be, it could have been written yesterday. I'm going to change one word, and it could have been yesterday. You say, this is right on relevant for us today. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 21st century. That was the only word I changed, was 20th to 21st century. An irrelevant social club. And he goes on, every day... I meet with young people whose disappointment with the church has turned into outright disgust. The scriptures are clear. And Reverend King captures that here. There is no partial worship. There is no partial worship. We can gather in this room. And we can have great energy, beautiful harmonies. We can have music that carries us to the heavens and back. We can hear a word of truth that parses theological intricacies with inspiration. And wonderful life application. And it can carry us into being slain in the spirit together. Speaking in tongues and all the rest. But if it does not translate into outside these walls, it is not biblical worship. And we, instead, can turn it on its head and be out in the world doing great works of sacrificial generosity, capturing the resources and funneling them into all the needs that are around us. But if it's not done out of the the Spirit of God, if it's not done in the name of Jesus, then it is simply humans doing human things instead of us serving our God together in worship. Outside of this hall. It's what's really easy for us to do. Is to worship something else besides God. We we can worship our worship. We can worship inspiration. We, we, We can worship music. Instead of worshiping the God who inspires. And the, the God to whom we sing. We can worship acts of service. We can, we can even worship changing the world. Instead of worshiping God. Who is the one who created the world. And the only one who can change it and redeem it. There is no such thing as partial worship. It is all or nothing in worship. It is all of it together. It's not, you know, it's, it's a different illustration. And this is another set of wire clippers. But 
It's not an either or. These chain clippers, whatever you call these things. Bolt cutters, thank you. These bolt cutters have two parts, right? Which one's more important? They're no longer bolt cutters if you take them apart. And that's what it is in worship. That it is both and and all. There is no partial worship. So a couple questions. Just as, as we draw this to a close. Do you see your everyday life? Do you recognize the significance and importance and value? Everyone here. Of your everyday life. It, it is worship. Your everyday life is worship. As you are sent to be ambassadors and representatives. It is just as important. As me standing here. As anyone singing or anyone else saying. It is of equal value and importance. And part of what it means to worship. Do you see your life? As being sent in worship. The, the, the evangelism, the, the justice, the mercy, the care that God is sending you in the boardroom, in the playroom, on the playground, the front yard or the backyard, wherever you go. And if so, if you see that today, how? How is it that God is sending you? How, how is it? Do you have a sense of the people that God's calling you to? Do you have a, have a sense of the, the, the task that God is calling you to do as, as worship unto Him? And finally, in that life of service... Are you, are you worshiping God in that? Or are you just fulfilling responsibilities? You know, you're just doing it because preacher told you to do it. Or do you sense that as just as much an act of worship as our gathering and singing here? Let those be the, the questions for, to ruminate, to Explore, to meditate on, to share with one another, to discuss with each other so as to see our whole lives. Every day, 24-hour worship unto Almighty God. Amen.